everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'm your host, Josh. As always, I got my brother and producer, Joel, here at the table now with me. And today, we are going to be diving into one of the most infamous ghost stories in American history, and that is the haunting legend of the Bell Witch. This case is especially interesting because this is the first time in recorded history where a supernatural entity, ghost, or even demonic entity was attributed with homicide. You know, oftentimes in ghost stories and in many of the cases that we've covered, usually, you know, there might be some physical contact between a spirit and a human, but never have we really seen a spirit actually kill a human being before. But with the Bell Witch, it's a whole different story because they actually recorded it that the death of this individual we're going to be talking about was directly linked to a supernatural entity. So get ready for that. But before we get into things, I just wanted to say happy new year. We are starting a brand new year here at Lights Out. Very excited about it. We've added a new piece to the set here. This is my Buffalo Skull from hell. <laughs> uh, it's pretty, pretty sweet. It does look All the so way cool. From Indonesia, hand carved. Very excited about it. So got hopefully a, you enjoy it. Yeah, we got a little bit of the incense flowing through it too. I know, I know. It's it's looking sick. We're trying to keep up in the production level here. Oh yeah. Trying to, you know, give you that spooky vibe that we're going for. But the other thing I wanted to bring up real quick that I know I've mentioned before here on the show is that I actually do a, another podcast called the Mile Higher Podcast. And, you know, maybe you already are a fan of that show or you uh, watch that show already, but I just thought I'd throw it out there for those that have already binged through Lights Out and you're like, oh, I just want more content. I'm just sitting around waiting for Friday to come around. Well, there's a ton of content over there at Mile Higher Podcasts. It's more of a true crime show. Uh, We do cover paranormal stuff. We also cover a lot of conspiracies. So if you're into conspiracies or, um, you know, unexplained mysteries and we cover ancient history, ancient aliens type stuff. If you're interested in that kind of thing, definitely check out Mile Higher Podcast because uh, that's actually the first podcast that I, I started with, and this is my second podcast. But it's just there's loads of content over there. There's over 100 episodes of really, really interesting cases and stories. So we'll put links in the description for that. Definitely check it out if you haven't already. Also, guys, there is a little bit of merch left at milehighmerch.com. If you want to cop some of that Lights Out merch before... Uh, it sells out. Definitely head over there and check it out. Uh, but the last thing I want to say was uh, thank our sponsors for today, Raycon and American Giant. But let's go ahead and get into the very terrifying story of the Bell Witch. So the Bell Witch is called by many different names, including the Tennessee Ghost, the Bell Ghost, as well as just America's greatest ghost story. And it's you know, it's hard to really know whether or not all everything that happened in the story really indeed happened because, I mean, we're talking about the 1800s, the 1700s. A lot of people were not even able to read or write. So a lot of the stories from that time period were passed down verbally as opposed to being written down in some sort of, you know, document or, or paper or something like that. So a lot of this story comes back to a farmer named John Bell. So John Bell married a woman named Lucy Williams in 1782, and they had a farm in Edgecombe County, North Carolina, and they were very successful. 
In 1804, they moved to Robertson County, Tennessee, with their nine children, Jesse John Jr., Drury, Benjamin, Esther, Zadok, Elizabeth, Richard Williams, and Joel Egbert. They had 320 acres of farmland along the Red River, and on that land, they built a log home. And this area of Tennessee is now known as Adams, Tennessee. Lots of trees in this area, very beautiful area. I've actually had the privilege of going to Nashville. It's relatively close to this area and very, very beautiful state, but uh, dense, dense forests there. So John moved there with his family in order to, you know, lead a very quiet, peaceful life. And for 13 years, that's exactly what they did. During that time, they ended up having three more kids, including their youngest, Betsy, who was born in 1806. So we're talking 1800s. I mean, very, very simple life back then. You were not talking any of the modern luxuries they're living in. Uh, Probably, you know, no, obviously no running water, no electricity, anything like that. This is very... Yeah, I mean, this is kind of like the old West days, really. I know. I can't even imagine what it'd be like to not have access to the internet. Like, <laughs> I know we're also we're spoiled, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the internet changed everything, but but even just not to have basic necessities like running water, or, yeah, or true plumbing that. and things like that. I mean, that life of the 1800s is one that just fascinates me because I'm just like, we have no clue what that was was like. We have mm. no clue. We, none of us have ever, I mean, there might be a few people out there, but none of us have really experienced what life would be like without all of these modern amenities, right? So life was very, very simple. And one of the things that people did during this time period was they attended church. Uh, a lot of people were devout Christians, uh, which was exactly what the Bell family was. They were devout Christians and they attended Red River Baptist Church. And John and Lucy were very involved in the church and their community because usually in this time period, a lot of people were very connected to the church and you're kind of frowned upon if you didn't attend church on Sundays. And, you know, it was kind of what made the community. A lot of these communities were very small. And so everybody kind of gathered around the church. It was kind of like the meeting place for the, for the little uh, town. And John was actually a church elder there and they were friends with all their neighbors and everybody really liked uh, the Bell family. So life was good for them. But in the summer, of 1817 this all changed because strange things started happening that could not be explained it all started one afternoon when john was walking along the cornfield on his property when he saw a large animal unlike anything he had ever seen before according to him it had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit and it was covered in thick black fur Now imagine that for a moment. You know, you're already used to seeing wildlife out there. I mean, they probably see animals all the time. But to come across an animal that is a rabbit's head and a dog's body, that's pretty, pretty weird. And, you know, I think a lot of people would be like, oh, well, he probably just, you know, misidentified something. But he was very, very clear about the fact that it was a dog with a rabbit's head. I mean, if you've ever seen a rabbit before, I actually have a couple of rabbits as pets. (laughs) I mean, it's, they're very distinct. I mean, they have uh-huh. very distinct faces and, and long ears. So it's very, I mean, I think anybody can look at a bunch of animals and be like, that's a rabbit, right? I yeah. Mean, it's a pretty common animal that people see. Definitely. But this description reminds me a lot of like a shapeshifter or a skinwalker, you know, something it does. like that. Right. Uh, it's sort of like a, a hybrid animal being where there's two different types of species in one. And I don't know. 
That's, that's pretty freaky if you ask me if I came across that in the forest. Yeah. I'd be a little... It would freak me out. I'd be like, uh, something's wrong here. Yeah. So that's exactly what John did. He was like, oh, this is, this is kind of scary. So he decided to take his rifle and shoot the animal. And he actually fired several times at it, hitting the animal directly with at least three bullets. But this animal didn't keel over or even flinch after being shot. In fact, the animal just vanished right before his very eyes. For whatever reason, though, John didn't tell anybody about what had happened because he didn't want to worry Lucy or the kids. And I'm like, that'd be the first thing I'm doing. I'm going to go tell my wife, like, you know what I just saw? I just saw a <laughs> damn rabbit with a fucking Labrador body. What yeah. the hell's going on out here, man? Like, I feel like you'd have to tell somebody that, you know? Seriously. It's not I, like you see that. Every I day. always wonder, like, in these stories or these cases, I'm like, how do people just keep this kind of information to themselves and not tell anybody? I would go tell everybody. Right. I'm like, I just shot a half bunny <laughs> dog. Yeah. But then, you know, people be like, oh, well, they will never believe you. Mm-mm. And that's the case. And, and in this type of environment and in a, t- in a little town like this, you don't want to be that crazy person that's like, oh, yeah, I saw a half rabbit, half dog. Yeah, very true. So that could be a reason for why he kept it to himself. But that night, as the family headed to bed, they heard loud thumping sounds. Almost like someone was outside running around the house while pounding on the walls. And at first, they thought uh, must be just an animal or some, or maybe a neighbor's just, you know, playing around with them. So John and his older sons ran outside to see what it was. But when they got out there, crickets. Completely quiet, completely calm, and obviously no one was there. And a short while later, one of the sons saw an odd-looking bird perched on a fence post. And apparently this bird was huge, much larger than any bird he had ever seen before in this area. And when he got closer to it, the bird expanded its wings and took flight. And when it did, he was amazed at its massive size and very peculiar appearance. Very weird. That to me, I mean, again, if you've ever seen some owls and, you know, there's a lot of birds that when they take flight, you're like, damn, that's a big ass bird. Actually, I was just, you know, over New Year's, I went to the mountains and we were driving along the road and I saw my first bald eagle, dude. No, no way. Fucking cool as hell. Like literally you're driving up into the mountains and all of a sudden this, this bird, the wings, I mean, it was like. I'm, I'm not even joking. Like the wingspan was like my wingspan almost. It, nice. it felt like it was huge, but it was a bald eagle. I was like, wow, that's cool as shit. Yeah. I've never seen, I've one never before. seen one before either. And what I was like, and it was, it was like, you could see it, it like flew right past, uh, right past so cool. the Jeep. I was like, wow, that is incredible. Beautiful animal for sure. Yeah. And I'm like, damn, I get, get why it's our national bird. <laughs> that shit's cool. Yeah. But in this case, it could have been a turkey too, because turkeys somewhat fly and they're, they're kind they of big. Fly. <laughs> turkeys don't fly away. I, I thought they do. Turkeys definitely don't fly. They're, they're too big for that. They're ground dwellers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if okay. turkeys could fly, that'd be a scary <laughs> world, man. Yeah. Could you imagine? Yeah. I don't, I don't know what this bird was, but I think the key here is that it had a very peculiar appearance so that it was clearly something that was not, not, known to this area because i mean living out here during this time period i mean you're outside a lot you're gonna see a lot of shit you're gonna see a lot of different animals so this was something unlike they had ever seen before now what was interesting is that some of the slaves who actually worked on the bell farm also started seeing very unusual animals as well a man named dean left one day to visit his wife 
and was followed by a huge black dog or wolf. And apparently he saw the creature multiple times. And when he did, sometimes it had two heads or even no head. Dean even claimed he was turned into a mule. So he started carrying an axe for protection and a weapon he called a witch ball that his wife made for him. So that was a good point that you brought up that you brought up Skinwalker. And, you know, we talked about, you know, how Skinwalkers were, you know, could be witches and things like that Mm -hmm. and shapeshifters. So it's very interesting that maybe that's what was happening here is what we're seeing as shapeshifters. Uh, It could be maybe even Skinwalkers for all we know. And that's why they're seeing all these weird animals. But the Bell family started hearing more and more noises late at night. Sometimes it would sound like a pack of wild dogs were fighting outside. So you just imagine teeth, you know, gnashing and gnarling like <laughs> at that time period, dude. You're just like in this little cabin, like one room <laughs> cabin. And you're just like, oh shit, I hope they don't come inside. Right. But then they heard the sound of large boulders crashing to the ground, door slamming and chains being scraped against the wooden floors. That's fucking terrifying, man. Yeah. Yeah. Kids were woken up in the middle of the night by sounds of gnawing on their bedposts. Jesus. Woke up, woke up looking down and thinking that they were going to see some like wild dogs or rats trying to chew on it. But when they jumped out to actually look at the bedposts, nothing was there. Interesting. Makes me wonder if there was teeth marks or something, but I, I doubt it. No signs. Yeah. No signs at all. And obviously this would upset any kid. So they would cry for their parents to come and look at the room and see what's in there. And John and Lucy told the kids it was just a nightmare to go back to bed. Of course, the easiest way to play it off, right? Well, I mean, you got to like, if your kids are freaking out, you don't want to freak them out more. Yeah. So you got to kind of like calm them down. And even if you're shitting your pants because you're like, (laughs) oh my God, what's going on outside? It's okay, kids. Go to sleep. Keep your cool. Because it just got worse from there. Not long after that, they started hearing eerie human-like sounds of a person gulping or choking. Oop. Just wow. such, such bizarre sounds. Yeah. And then the gnawing sound returned even louder than before. When the house was quiet and all the kids were asleep, they'd wake up suddenly when their sheets were ripped from their beds and their pills were pulled out from under them. The sheets and pills were then thrown across the room. Eventually, the kids started feeling gentle tugs on their hair or light scratches across their faces. Wow, that's where it's crossing the line, you know? Clearly, we've got some type of activity here, paranormal activity. Mm -hmm. It almost seems like poltergeist activity or something. Because next, this unseen entity started speaking. And at first, it was just a whisper. The words were so quiet, no one could understand them. But then the entity started softly singing familiar hymns. Like, oh, that's nice. But then the hair pulling and scratching got more forceful. So it's almost like toying with them. Mm-hmm. Knowing that they're, you know, religious folks and that they like to hear that, and then to just bam, scare them again. And this entity seemed intent on torturing poor Betsy, the youngest bell child, more than anyone else. As we know from other stories, entities of this kind feed off off these young young kids in a lot of different cases. So it kind of makes sense. But poor Betsy would all of a sudden feel a sudden slap across her face. Her skin was pinched and pricked with invisible pins. But one night, Betsy woke up to her sheets being ripped from the bed 
And when she tried to sit up, this entity yanked her head back down. It also managed to tie her hair to the bedpost. Frightening stuff. John Sr. didn't want anyone in the church or their community to find out about any of this. So he swore his family to secrecy. Because it had only been 125 years since the Salem witch trials. And he knew his fellow devout Christians might not be so sympathetic to a witch visiting his family. And going back to your point earlier, I mean, they are scared to tell people because they would think they're crazy, you know, and they'd ruin their reputation in the small community. Right. And, and when paranormal activity happened like this back in this time period, as we've learned from the Salem witch trials is that, you know, people didn't have a re- any understanding of what was actually going on. So what they would assume is that they would assume that the Bell family was dabbling in witchcraft, that they mm-hmm. were somehow bringing this upon themselves. And so they could, they were, there's fear that they could be either kicked out of their, you know, little town or worse. I mean, even, you know, killed. Right. As we saw in, in prior history. So, cause it's not like they have ghost adventures to watch or something <laughs> no, to relate their experience there's with. There's none of that. So, to a devout Christian at that time period, they just think devil, devil. They think yeah. there's demonic activity and you're somehow Witchcraft. bringing it upon yourself. So, what are you doing? Are you doing some, some devil shit? That's what that's what the rest of the community would think if they told them. So that's what they're like, all right, can't tell a soul about this. And unfortunately, for over a year, the family suffered in silence as the haunting escalated. The torture of Betsy just kept getting worse and worse. She was being slapped across the face almost daily, and each and every time the slap became stronger. She was left with welts, bruises, and even bite marks all over her body. Her skin bled from the invisible pinpricks. And the outline of a hand could be seen in the bruises on her face. That's so scary. Just look at your youngest daughter. Jesus. And she's got all of these visible wounds left by some unseen entity. Betsy found solace in a local neighbor boy named Joshua Gardner. The two started taking walks together and she took any excuse to leave home and be with Joshua. The closer the pair got though, the angrier the entity seemed to get. When Betsy was home, she was relentlessly tortured and didn't know how to explain the marks and scabs on her skin. And after a while, Betsy and Joshua asked their families for permission to get married. Everyone was overjoyed at the engagement and started planning the wedding right away. And the spirit started warning Betsy that something terrible would happen to her and her family if she didn't break off the engagement, but it never mentioned why. Richard Powell was a local teacher who was 11 years older than Betsy, and he had actually taught her and Joshua Gardner, and at the time he said he wanted to marry Betsy when she was older, but he was secretly already married to Esther Scott, a woman who lived in nearby Nashville, and the rumors around town were that Richard was interested in the occult and witchcraft, and he could have sent an evil spirit to torture Betsy as punishment for choosing Joshua over him. Whenever Betsy and Joshua were together, the entity was there, taunting their relationship and threatening them. Betsy was so upset and didn't know what to do. John Sr. finally broke down and told his close neighbor and friend, James Johnston, about the haunting. James and his wife urged John to get help from the church, but he refused. So James decided that they would stay overnight at the Bell home to experience the haunting for themselves. Little sleepover. But during this little sleepover, 
They were woken up in the middle of the night by the sheets being pulled from the bed. Then an invisible force started pulling his wife's hair and slapping her across the face. James then stood up and yelled, In the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? No answer. But the spirit did disappear for the night. The next morning, James told John Sr. that he believed it was a spirit similar to those in the Bible, and he again urged him to go to the church for help. This time, John agreed. So they went to see a preacher. The preacher John confided in promised to keep his secret. But soon, rumors were spreading through the town like wildfire. People traveling from all over the state in southern Kentucky came to visit the Bell Farm and experience this biblical spirit firsthand, which, as you can probably imagine, only pissed the spirit off more and more. Because as people came, the spirit became louder and more forceful than ever before. It was emboldened by the crowds of people and seemed to feed off their fear. This spirit would sing hymns, quote scripture, and even recite sermons to whoever would listen. It was very clear that the entity was most powerful when religion was involved. People who visited the farm witnessed furniture moving through the air and then crashing to the ground. Apparently, the spirit traveled around the community. And as it traveled around, it would pick up information about the different townspeople and then would go around telling other townspeople what it had heard. Once it repeated word for word two different sermons that had taken place at the exact same time, 12 miles apart. The sermons were given by Reverend James Gunn of the Bethel Methodist Church and Reverend Sug Fort of Red River Baptist Church. James Johnston's son, John, was very skeptical and didn't believe there was really something haunting the farm. So he decided to talk to the entity himself. He asked what his grandmother in North Carolina would say to her slaves when they didn't obey her. And without missing a beat, the spirit responded in his grandmother's voice. Hut tut, what has happened now? Another skeptic was an Englishman who traveled to the Bell Farm to prove the spirit didn't exist. While he was there, he heard his parents' disembodied voices, who were back in England. Once he heard those voices, he got the hell out of there and never came back. Yeah, that's really freaky that the spirit can impersonate like people that that individual knows or has connections to. Yeah, like, I mean, we're dealing with a very powerful entity here, one that's, you know, has the ability to lead, you know, it's not attached to anybody, it's not attached to any location specifically. It's just free roaming this community like uh, that's pretty scary. Later on, this Englishman wrote a letter to the family apologizing for not believing them. He also said that the spirit had visited his parents at the exact same time he had heard their voices on the farm. That is crazy. Yeah. To think about. I mean, wow. I haven't heard of that happening before. Gives me chills thinking Where you're about talking it. to an entity and this entity is also talking to the people that you're talking to them about. That's wild. A man named William Porter, who was a friend of the Bell family, encountered the spirit while he was staying with the family. While he was sleeping, a terrible stench filled the room, and then the entity got into bed with him. He grabbed it and wrapped it in his clothes, and he tried to throw it into the fire. But it was so dense and heavy, he could barely lift it. 
Now, this is interesting. So when we're talking about the spirit, we're talking about the bell witch. I, I mean, ultimately, this is the, the spirit is the bell witch. Just wanted to make that very clear. And descendants of William Porter actually were interviewed in a Ghost Adventures episode that they did on the Bellwitch Cave, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But it was very interesting to me that this is confirmed by his descendants, like this has been passed down over the years, that William Porter did in fact try to cat like basically throw the Bellwitch into the fire, but never was able to because as he got closer to the fire, literally it got so heavy that he had to completely, he couldn't even carry it anymore and dropped it completely. So whatever this bell witch or entity was, was very, very powerful. After this attempt to rid the community of the bell witch failed, a committee of neighbors formed to investigate the haunting further and try to figure out how they could help the bell family. All right, back to the bell witch. So the bell witch was a very talkative spirit. And one neighbor actually talked to the spirit and asked it, who are you and what do you want? And a soft voice answered, I am a spirit. I once was very happy, but I've been disturbed and made unhappy. I'm the spirit of a person who was buried in the woods nearby and the grave was disturbed. My bones scattered and one of my teeth was lost under this house. And I'm here looking for that tooth. When asked why it was there, the spirit never answered directly. At one point, it claimed that it had been released from a Native American burial ground that the farm was built on when one of John's sons disturbed the grave. It is super impressive that this spirit is able to form and complete entire sentences. You know, that just blows my mind because a lot of paranormal investigation shows that I watch, they just struggle to get one word, you know, picked up. Yeah, Yeah. the fact that this was... (laughs) literally giving sermons it sounds like (laughs) is is pretty wild Whole another level but the spirit sent several men on a hunt for buried treasure but none was ever found the spirit also claimed a few different identities but the one that stuck was kate bats kate bats had sold john senior the land that they lived on and she was a bit of an outcast in the community she was loud mean and demanded attention and pity from her neighbors Her husband, Frederick, had been paralyzed in an accident and couldn't work anymore. So Kate had tried to do physical labor in order to provide for her family because they needed money. And because they needed money, she decided to sell some of their land to John Bell. But shortly after the sale, she realized that the land was worth much more than he had paid. And so she blamed John Bell for taking advantage of her family. At one point, she said to him, I vow to haunt John Bell and his descendants until their dying day. And when the family first started hearing noises outside their house, John assumed it was Kate Batts. But when things started to escalate, he knew she wasn't capable of sneaking around their house and tormenting his children without being seen. So that's when rumors started swirling in the church that Kate was interested in witchcraft and actually wasn't a faithful Christian like she claimed. They believed God had punished her by paralyzing her husband and causing her family's financial troubles. When John remembered these rumors, he thought maybe Kate had cast a spell on his family or even sent a demon their way as revenge. But Kate Batts strongly denied that she had anything to do with the spirit haunting the Bell Farm. But the spirit started answering to the name Kate. The spirit continued to escalate the haunting, getting louder and more violent every day. And finally, it revealed its real reason for being there. The spirit intended to kill 
John Bell Sr., claiming Mr. Bell is a bad man. The story of the haunting of the Bell Farm traveled across the country and actually caught the attention of Andrew Jackson, President Andrew Jackson, who was the first person to call the spirit the Bell Witch. At that time, though, he was just Major Lieutenant Andrew Jackson, as he wouldn't be elected president until 1829. But he had already represented Tennessee in the House of Representatives and served as the justice on the Tennessee Supreme Court. After that, he was elected commander of the Tennessee militia and he became a national hero after winning the Battle of New Orleans in 1815. John and Lucy's three oldest sons, John Jr., Drury, and Jesse had fought under General Jackson in the Battle of New Orleans. And so he traveled to the farm with his best horses and men in a single wagon. And when they reached the property, the horses suddenly stopped. They thought the wagon was stuck at first, but after inspecting it carefully, there was no reason why it couldn't keep rolling on. The men realized that the horses were refusing to move. It was as if they had reached an invisible barrier that wouldn't let them pass. Then all of a sudden, they heard a voice say, You may proceed, but I will meet you again later tonight. After this, the horses stepped forward and continued on to the farm. Andrew Jackson then called out, By the eternal boys, that must be the Bell Witch. And for a while, all was quiet. The men started to think that nothing was going to happen. One of them claimed to be a tamer of evil spirits. He announced that he had a silver bullet in his pistol called the Witch Tamer. That would actually scare away the Bell Witch. As soon as he finished speaking, though, he fell to the ground and started convulsing. He screamed out in pain and said he was being poked with needles. He was then being jerked all around like he was being shoved and punched. And then he felt a strong kick to his backside that was so forceful that he flew right out the Bell family's door and landed on the porch. The Bell Witch then said, There is one more fraud among you. I will root him out and come for him tomorrow night. The soldiers were terrified and wanted to leave, but Andrew Jackson refused. He believed the Bell Witch that one of his men was a fraud, and he wanted to find out who. So he announced that they would stay one more night at the farm. But early in the morning the next day, something happened that was so horrifying, Andrew Jackson rounded up his men and horses and fled back to Nashville before the sun even came up. His controversial legacy as a strong man, who unapologetically slaughtered Native Americans and sometimes even his own men, is undercut by his humiliating defeat by the Bell Witch. So something happened that morning that scared him enough that later on he said, I'd rather face the entire British army than spend another night with the Bell Witch. After Andrew Jackson left, the spirit continued to focus most of their torture on Betsy, both physically and psychologically. One day Betsy was terrified when she saw the ghostly figure of a young girl wearing a green dress swinging from an oak tree. As much as the Bell Witch seemed to hate Betsy, she was very fond of her mother, Lucy. Lucy would find fresh fruit waiting for her in the kitchen, like a gift brought to her from the spirit. And even at night, she was serenaded by beautiful, soothing hymns. The Bell Witch even called Lucy the most perfect woman to walk the earth. She also seemed to like John Jr. and was always respectful toward him. How wild is that? I mean, this is just such a bizarre story. Like, you don't hear of a spirit or entity, like, 
picking and choosing like favorites and doing mm-hmm. kind things for one person and you know nasty things to another like it's just it's unlike anything i've ever heard before and it really makes you wonder like what this entity is right like what is this spirit or is it a spirit at all like what what is this thing but even though the bell family was experiencing both good and bad they never forgot her real reason for being there which was to kill john senior ever since the bell witch's arrival in 1817 his health had gone downhill he was almost 70 years old and it was hard for him to eat and swallow his face twitched and his mouth and jaw were paralyzed for long periods of time he couldn't drink eat or talk and he would oftentimes have convulsive episodes that were most likely seizures the bell witch laughed at him and seemed delighted that his health was failing she said i hate old jack bell and i will kill him by the fall of 1820 john rarely left the house and mostly stayed in bed when he would try to get up to move around a little the bell witch would snatch away his shoes before he could even put them on his throat started to swell until he could barely breathe he said it felt like someone was shoving a stick down his throat all the while the seizures got much worse and he grew weaker by the day the bell witch continued to taunt him threatening him with curses when he had seizures she would slap him in the face and laugh a few days before christmas in 1820 john suffered multiple violent seizures and fell into a coma his family gathered around him as he lay unconscious in his bed and he died on december 20th at 70 years old lucy and their children were devastated but comforted that he had died peacefully but then john jr found a strange bottle of liquid in a cupboard that none of them had ever seen before he decided to give a little bit of the liquid to the family's cat and a few seconds later after lapping it up the cat collapsed and died the bell witch called out i gave old jack a dose of that last night which fixed him john jr was horrified so much so that he threw the bottle into the fireplace to burn it but when he did it exploded into a bright blue flame and this flame formed a ball almost like a flowing blue orb which then hovered in the air before it flew up the chimney that is wild mm-hmm. wonder what that was but john's funeral was one of the largest ever held in robertson's county john senior was respected by everyone in the community and his church and was beloved by his family and friends they all gathered in the cemetery to say their final goodbyes the service was uneventful until the casket was lowered into the ground and that's when mourners heard shrieking laughter it was the bell witch she cackled loudly and then started singing a cheerful song about drinking a bottle of liquor and she kept on singing until the last person left the cemetery wow it just blows my mind how the spirit is not afraid to make its presence known to anybody no like it doesn't matter nope and the bell family feared that with john gone the haunting might get worse and for a little while it actually mostly stopped just as they started to sigh in relief the bell witch returned to accomplish her second goal and betsy's engagement to joshua gardner this time the bell witch was worse than ever she followed betsy and joshua wherever they went cursing their marriage and their future children betsy was constantly slapped shoved pricked and pinched whenever she was in their house finally she couldn't take it anymore and on easter in 1821 she met joshua near the bank of the river and told him she couldn't marry him that same year esther scott suddenly died as well she was the wife of betsy's teacher richard powell who had wanted to marry her the timing was very suspicious and three years later him and betsy were married 
The bell witch visited Lucy one last time and said, I will return in seven years' time. After over three years of haunting the Bell family, the spirit was finally gone, but she did return in 1828. Lucy lived on the farm with two of her sons, Richard and Joel, who urged her mother not to engage with the spirit. The Bell Witch stayed for just a few weeks and spent most of the time at John Jr.'s home. Apparently, they had long discussions about religion and philosophy, and she warned him about the Civil War and accurately predicted several key details. She told John Jr. that she had a very good reason for killing his father, but she refused to tell him what it was. During her last visit, she said she'd be back in 107 years, which would be 1935, and would visit his closest descendant. But many believe she never left. Strange things continue to happen in the town of Adams, especially in the area around the Bell Farm. In years past, visitors to the farm have heard disembodied voices and sounds of children playing. Flickering lights are seen at night out in the fields. People have also seen glowing orbs and figures moving in the darkness. And there's a rumor that when the Bell family lived in North Carolina, John Bell Sr. murdered his overseer, which could have been the spirit haunting the family. On the other side, skeptics believe that Betsy made up the Bell Witch to get Joshua Gardner to marry her. It's rumored that she was a talented ventriloquist. Wow, what a twist, huh? (laughs) And when she changed her mind, she had an easy scapegoat to end the engagement. And this has been called poltergeist faking syndrome. But Betsy was very young at the time, and even if she could have fooled her family, it's unlikely she could fool all of the people, including Andrew Jackson, who visited the farm to investigate the haunting. Other skeptics believe the Bell Witch was a cover-up for John Sr., who was abusing his youngest daughter, Betsy. And John was actually poisoned by a slave who knew about the abuse. And this version of the story was backed up by a psychic who claimed she heard it from Betsy Bell herself. So, those are just two other options, but we'll probably never know what really happened at the Bell Farm. Part of the legend of the Bell Witch is a place called the Bellwitch Cave, which is located near the Bell Farm. And the story goes that Betsy and some of her friends were exploring the cave when the young boy got stuck in a hole. The boy was terrified and the other kids couldn't pull him free. And apparently the Bell Witch said, I'll get him out. And invisible hands wrapped around his ankles, yanked him free. The Bell Witch then warned the kids about the dangers of wandering through caves. Some believe that when the Bell Witch left, She actually retreated to the cave and made it her home. In 1934, John Bell Jr.'s grandson, Charles Bailey Bell, published a book called The Bell Witch, A Mysterious Spirit. He was a neurologist in Nashville and wanted to publish a record of all their family stories about the Bell Witch. In 1937, a man named Lewis Garrison owned property that included the Bell Farm and the Bell Witch Cave, and he often heard strange noises that he couldn't explain. In the summer of 1937, members of the Epworth League, a young adult group for Methodists, visited the cave. And while they were there, they saw a ghostly figure of a woman on top of a cliff. And they ran away in fear. Five soldiers from Fort Campbell visited the cave in 1977. And one of them scoffed at the idea of the Bell Witch. But as soon as he did, he was suddenly grabbed around the chest by an invisible force. David Gerard, a writer for the Tennessean, and a photographer named Bill Wilson got special permission to stay the night in the cave. Bill was also a member of the National Spellological Society. 
And that night they heard a steady groan coming from deeper inside the cave, which this is a big ass cave too. This isn't just like a little dinky cave. And it got louder and louder and was eventually joined by a loud thumping sound. Then they heard a rumble outside and went to the entrance of the cave. And they realized it was just the noise of a jet flying overhead. And when they turned to go back inside, they heard a high-pitched scream coming from the cave. So as soon as they heard this, they gathered their belongings and left immediately. Lucy Bell Butler and another descendant of John Bell Jr. and the namesake of John Bell's wife Lucy has said that the Bell Witch stories were a regular part of her childhood. Whenever anything happened, good or bad, her family members would say it was the Bell Witch. Lucy believes the Bell Witch is real and still watches over her family. When her daughter Jennifer was growing up, she could see a young girl giggling and running through their house. And Lucy believes this little girl is the good side of the Bell Witch. But she also went on to say, I think she punished the people that needed to be punished, but I think she also took care of the ones that she liked. So with all that, it's a lot to really kind of wrap your head around because there's a lot of different angles with this one. A lot of different things to think about. And for me, I think I come back to a couple things. One, what we know for certain is that, especially with the Bellwitch Cave, is that there is there has been basically remains found of Native Americans that lived in this area, basically burial grounds, have been dug up in this area. So we know for 100% that this is mostly, you know, the area around the Bell Farm is likely Indian burial grounds uh, going back thousands and thousands of years. And if you know anything about paranormal activity, a lot of times you see spirits, you know, skinwalkers or types of shapeshifters, weird creatures in areas where there's Indian burial grounds. I mean, if we go back to Skinwalker Ranch, a lot of similarities there with some of the activity, I think. Definitely. So in my opinion, I think there's a, a couple things going on here. I think that there could be certainly an entity that was haunting the Bell family, but I don't necessarily believe that it was, you know, the Bell Witch as, you know, because if you think about it, the Bell Witch was the only reason we say that name is because Andrew Jackson came to the farm and said, that's the Bell Witch. Oh, yeah, right, right. Right. So it's like, it seems like there was some other type of entity that was, you know, actually haunting, haunting the farm there. And we don't know exactly what it was, but it seems like it was something very, very old, something, not necessarily something evil per se. Uh, I mean, it did, I guess it did do some evil stuff, but it also did some nice stuff. So I don't know this whole concept of like punishing people that deserve to be punished is very interesting and, you know, treating the others nicely. Cause maybe, maybe this entity did know, have some dirt on these people. Or maybe there's some other things that we don't even know about that John, you know, John Bell Sr. actually did. I mean, maybe for all we know, when they moved to the farm, he went and started digging up Indian burial grounds Mm -hmm. and moving remains. I mean, we talked about how literally uh, somebody came back with a skull that they buried up or that they dug up and brought it into the house. And one of the teeth fell out of the skull into the cracks of the floorboards of, of the Bell house. Oh, wow. And that's. Well, kind of how things get going. It was like the magnet for all the activity. Right, which would make sense. I mean, if you disturb remains. I mean, mm-hmm. look at it this way. The way that I look at it is hauntings as a result of disturbing Indian burial grounds is a lot like 
the the curse of the mummy right where you are dealing with people that are digging up ancient remains of people that knew way way more about the paranormal and this other part of life that we barely are scratching the surface on and you know if you believe anything in curses or magic for that matter then you know that one of the things that these ancient cultures did is that they would curse anybody that disturbed their remains i mean their the whole purpose was that they needed things to stay intact for their journey to the afterlife right so anybody that came along and disturbed things that's when that curse would kick in gotcha and so what i think happened is that i think that they messed with indian burial grounds in the cave and in you know and brought things into the home that then turned into a full-blown haunting and then i think what happened was stories got told and mm-hmm. things got changed and they added things to make it sound you know to make it make sense for them because they're not going to believe in most likely indian you know right. curses and things like yeah. that so it would make sense that they would attach somebody that they didn't like to the bell witch and there would be this whole controversy about who the bell witch was and then mm-hmm. it was I, I think there's a lot of things in here that are really embellished and probably didn't happen and they're just kind of a part of the legend right again this is a legend so yeah, yeah. tons of versions of this story there's tons of you know different details that different people tell when they tell the legend of the bell witch but i think ultimately at the end of the day as as i saw in you know when ghost adventures went out there and did a whole blown you know lockdown inside the cave there's definitely something going on in there i mean they they picked up energy you know electric uh, electromagnetic pulses that you know they bring yeah. they bring in a lot of high-tech equipment in there and, and what they actually captured there i was pretty surprised at. i was like wow you know they were even talking about it being a portal uh you know some type of vortex going on in there possibly there's clearly mm-hmm. some type of energy and something that we can't explain happening definitely in this area so. and and like what you brought up earlier i do get a lot of the same vibes from like skinwalker ranch you know right. native american land they're they're summoning stuff they're doing performing rituals and it seems like this could be the same case with the bell witch very similar um, yeah, but, a lot of similarities yeah but a lot of differences too but i but i was picking up on perhaps maybe there was some voodoo involved because the pins huh the pins the victims claimed they were being poked by needles well and, we are i mean we did talk about the battle of new orleans mm-hmm. so maybe one of them while they were down there picked i mean there could be multiple things happening here mm-hmm. like they did you know they were fighting in the battle of new orleans and maybe while they were down there they got cursed you know yeah. via voodoo I mean, right maybe they interacted with you know witches down there even mm-hmm. i mean there i think there could be multiple things even playing into this native american stuff maybe like you said the voodoo stuff from the battle of new orleans that was yeah. a huge mess down there so could be lots be, of things at play wouldn't be totally out of the question for there to be some of that involved i mean and i i think what happened was they took all these different things that were likely something else and then made it into this story about it being kate bats you know yeah yeah. This woman that didn't like him because she because I'm like, come on, you, you you sell somebody land for a little bit less than you'd like. And all of a sudden now you're like, oh, curse this guy. <laughs> you know, we're going to haunt him forever and he's going to die. Right. And yeah. like John, he'd lived till 70. And back then, that's a pretty old age oh, yeah. to live to. So, yeah. you know, was it his death as a result of, a, you know, I, I don't think so. A spirit or something. I don't I don't really believe that. And the whole vial of the thing, I mean who really knows if that's even true or not but maybe he was poisoned it's a possibility Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day i don't think we'll ever ever know what really happened here at the the bell farm 
And wasn't the movie The Blair Witch Project uh, based yeah. off of this story? Right? Ins- yeah, I would say probably like more inspired by inspired. Yeah, because yeah, I mean it's not really the same plot or anything. Yeah, very but it's, true. They definitely took the whole concept of the the creepy farm in the f- woods and the woods, being a witch and, there. That's and doing they had weird lots shit. of voodoo there and all of that. So good, good movie too. God, that was like it one was. of the first. The original uh-huh. Blair Witch was the one of the first scary movies that I saw when I was younger. And yep. I was like, damn. It was like black and white. But that, shit was, <laughs> that shit was crazy, man. I was like, dude, Whoa, yeah, this is so scary. I, I was a kid. I saw that on VCR. I yeah, was like, dude, this like is good. going through there with their like little fucking black and white camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. It was good for the year it was filmed in. They did a good job. So. Yeah, it's definitely a good one. So yeah, but with that, we'll go ahead and end today's episode there. Hopefully, you enjoyed this haunting legend of the Bell Witch. If you did. Make sure you give us a thumbs up if you're watching this on YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're also subscribed on Apple Podcasts. That does really help us out if you subscribe over there as well. You know, make sure you're following us on Spotify and on Instagram and Twitter at Lights Outcast. We'd really appreciate it. But until next time, lights out, everybody.